This morning's Old Testament reading is from the book of the prophet Ezekiel in the 18th chapter, beginning at verse 25 and continuing through verse 29. You're invited to listen for a word from the Lord. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, it is not my way which is fair, and your way which is not fair. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and righteous, he preserves himself alive. Because he's considered because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, and he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. A house of Israel, is it not my way which are not fair, and your ways which are not fair? Here is this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew in the 21st chapter, beginning of verse 28 and continuing through verse 32. We are at a point in the Gospel where Jesus has been doing a bunch of teachings, and here in particular, he is addressing a crowd that includes a number of Pharisees and religious leaders from Jerusalem. And I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later, he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And after after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Jesus is directly addressing the Pharisees and the religious leaders as he speaks this parable. He is here both making an example of and teaching to the religious establishment of his day. And even though they answer the questions put forth to them correctly, the first son, they said, did the will of the father. In that answer, they convict themselves as Jesus disparages them for the discrepancy between that which they profess, and that which they have actually done, that which they have seen, and that which they have refused to believe. But I believe Jesus' words could just as easily apply to the 
the non-religious leaders of his day or of ours for that matter. And it is precisely here where the power of this text lies. As one reads this parable, one gets the impression that Jesus doesn't think much of the second son's passive-aggressive behavior, preferring the honest, if recalcitrant, first son's response to their father. It was he who, after all, eventually gets around to doing that which was asked of him. And by contrast, the second son never does. Perhaps you have run into some folks like that at work or even in your family. They're generally agreeable folks who often seek to avoid conflict and who aim to please, and they say yes to pretty much anything asked of them. But more often than not, there is a lack of follow-through to that yes. Often the inaction is drawn out and accompanied by a series of excuses. All the while, no progress is ever made. To be fair, I would imagine that at one time or another, we've all been there. Well-meaning and well-intentioned, but never seeming to be able to attend to that project. A family whose loved one is in declining health and has a plot here, recently contacted me. In the course of talking about final arrangements, they mentioned that this fellow had, for a couple of decades now, worked on a restoration project of an old family home in New Church, Virginia, a project which, sadly, he could not see through to completion. But all the while, He had another roof over his head, and his family had other roofs over their heads, so it wasn't as if he or one of his relatives was deprived of shelter. When we were ministering in southwest Georgia, there was a little restaurant on the main street which regularly featured good and relatively inexpensive food, Uh, Live music, sometimes providentially provided by one of our talented church members, and nailed to the wall uh, over by the bar, as I recall, there was a, a round cork coaster and some sort of design on it and a sign that was below it, I think, explaining why it was there. This, it said, is a round to it. And why it was significant there was it talked about living a life with fewer regrets. The fewer round to it's you have, the fewer regrets you have. Well, depending on the urgency or the gravity of it, perhaps it turns out, in the greater scheme of things, many of the tasks that are assigned to us They're really no big deal. Only the work that Jesus has in mind when dressing down the Pharisees, well, that, that is a big deal. These are, after all, the very folks who have responsibility for the religious life of the nation. And that was a pretty weighty task. I mean, 
Could you imagine if a country's legal ruling body, the legislature, were to say, oh yes, we will see to the affairs of state, making the laws of the land and keeping the wheels of the machinery of government well-oiled and moving smoothly along, and they didn't do just the things they're supposed to do, and, and everything was almost grinding to a halt? Well, perhaps it's not the best time for such an analogy as this. But even more seriously, though, this was not just the social service network of the Hebrews that was being neglected. It was the religious needs of the people that were also going unmet. And the religious leaders of the day, they had responsibilities for not just sustaining the people physically, but sustaining them spiritually, for teaching them through the training up of leaders who could educate them in the Torah. They were supposed to be interpreting the laws of Moses on behalf of the people. They were called to oversee the operating of the temple, leading the people in worship, offering prayers and supplications on behalf of the nation, and yes, managing the budget for all this. But it seems that a great many of them had, in Jesus' eye at least, taken an oath to God, which then they had failed to fulfill. Jesus frequently berated them for their willful dereliction of duty because they were responsible not just for their own relationship with God, but they were also responsible for fostering the covenantal participation of the people of God. That produced a reaction in God's Son, which was equal parts disappointment and anger. But, thank goodness, that was then, and that was them. I had an interesting conversation with another fellow this week. We were talking about all manner of things, and knowing that I was a clergyman, perhaps, he felt inclined to mentioned that he and his wife had raised up their children in the church. He also spoke a bit about his own faith tradition, having grown up as a Methodist and finding his way to a fairly large Episcopalian congregation led by what he described as a charismatic priest out west. Now, he and his wife reside here in these parts, and so uh, I just couldn't help myself. I asked him a question that I was pretty sure I knew the answer to. I said to him, so which of the local Episcopal churches do you all attend now? Unsurprisingly, the answer was, oh, well, none. Though I could have left it at that, well, <laughs> I couldn't leave it at that. I was genuinely curious when I asked how we in the church had let them down. He explained that his father-in-law had undergone a very difficult and painful battle with cancer, and in the midst and the immediate aftermath of his struggles, both this man and his wife were left with more questions about God than the well-meaning and well-attended church had given them answers. The story of this couple reminded me of the second son who said yes to the father, but then who grew cold to his will. Perhaps if Jesus had expanded his story to include a third son, this is exactly what would have taken place. 
Not unlike his parable of the seeds that were scattered in various conditions. In conjunction with this morning's gospel reading from the text appointed us by the Revised Common Lectionary, this conversation that I was having got me thinking about the religious establishment of Jesus' day and about me and about us. I've been considering the ways in which I often look more like son number one or more like son number two. And I'd invite you to take a little time to do the same sort of self-reflection. A day on which we gather together around this shared table as we remember and we celebrate the new covenant that Jesus instituted with we, his people, is a particularly poignant time to reflect on our faithfulness that new life to that new life which has been opened to us through the work of our Savior. How many times and in how many ways have we been obedient, even if haltingly, and how many times have we simply paid lip service to Christ's call? How often have we started, out, started off and then petered out? Recently, I shared with you brief stories of Albert Schweitzer, and Leslie Newbegin, and Mother Teresa, all of whom at some point dedicated their lives to serving Jesus and who stayed the course, even under what must have been, certainly to us, some extremely trying and challenging circumstances. And I said at the time something along the lines of, uh, we're, we're not all called to be foreign missionaries, and that is true, but we are all invited to some commitment in Christ. We are fortunate to have with us in two weeks Steve Adkins, a child of this very congregation, to bring us an update on his recent missionary work, both in Central America, in Guatemala, and right here on Delmarva as well. But we're not even all called to be a Steve Adkins. We are, though, I believe, like the children in Jesus' story, all called by the Father to go work in the vineyard. There's plenty of work to be done, after all. A division of labor seems wise, and I think that's the sort of thing Paul was on about when he wrote about this variety of gifts that were bestowed on the people of God, which were designed to equip each and every one for a particular type of service in his name. The crux of this morning's reading is about commitment, not just being obliged to do something, but actually going out and doing. We are not obliged to do anything to earn our salvation. No, that work has already been fully accomplished by the only one ever capable of doing it. We are, however, called to respond to that work through grateful service to the one who ordained that salvific work. The second son, and Jesus implies the religious elites of his time, had a job to do which they had been selected and equipped for, and yet they weren't now doing. At least the first son 
even after a period of rebelliousness and disobedience, finally did get around to doing the will of the Father. Like those he had encountered, the folks at the margins of society who had heard John and then heard Jesus and had come to to embrace his ministry, to listen to his commands, to follow his will and set aside their own. How well have I been doing the will of the Father? That's a profound question to ask, for it really gets to the heart of the Christian understanding of our purpose here in this life. Though we don't get progress reports like we used to in school, we are invited to do some self-assessment along the way, and this is as good a time as any to do some. As we are preparing our hearts and our minds for participation in the celebration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. As you do so, I would invite you to consider how you've been doing in your response to God's call of service that's been placed upon you, the ways in which you've been faithful to respond with more than empty promises, and for those as yet unattended to works of gratitude that remain on your to-do list, the encouraging message from Jesus' parable is that the deeds of the first son, the one who initially refused, those deeds were warmly received by the father when the son finally did get round to it. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.